0: Speak to us now, O Lord, we pray. Speak to our souls today. For this is why we've come, dear Lord, we're ready for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Heaven and earth will pass, but God, your word will forever last. We are ready for your word. Father, we pray now that your word will go forth in power and might that it will be an act of worship and not the object of worship so that we might hear clearly from you and in hearing from you might do what we need to do to become more like you. We love you and we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. When you think about God, what comes to your mind? Now, it might sound like a simple question. For those who are theologically trained, it would be classified as a question of theology proper. What what do you think about when you hear the word God? A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And my brothers and sisters, I believe we have fallen into and been lulled into a place of complacency. Uh, we, We are living and functioning with multiple generations who use the same word but don't mean the same thing. For some of us, when we say God, we think about the head of the triune creation committee. We think about the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. But there are a whole lot of other people who, when they hear the word God, they don't think about capital G, but lowercase g. And they think about those who are ruling and reigning in their own little kingdom. And so the question that I've been forced to ask myself and challenge others to ask is which God are we preaching and teaching? Who, who are we talking about? And I believe we're living in a day and time, my brothers and sisters, where those of us who know God have to be reminded of who he is. And those of us who don't know him have to be introduced to him so that we can re-establish and or fortify the foundation of our faith. Because too many of us, while we may have an intellectual knowledge of God, the God that is functioning as our faith is expressed is an impotent replica of who the true God really is. So today for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought God the one who started it all. God, the one who started it all. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? Amen. If you need an outline, would you say, wait a minute, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Three things I want you to see today as we go back to the basics and look at who God is. Look at who the great I am is. Look at the living and true God, the only God who we are to worship and serve our foundational text today is Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth I wish I had more time to deal with more verses but that's enough for us today here's the first thing number one you need to realize God is supreme in his presence God is supreme In his presence, I want you to underline the phrase in the beginning, in the beginning, that word beginning in the Hebrew literally means to be first in place, in time, in order and or in rank. It typically connotes the beginning of a fixed period of time or a point of departure. The scripture says in Genesis chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, in the beginning, God, there was one who was supreme in presence. In the beginning, it was God. I want you to look at one a God is self-existent. God is self-existent. God existed before anything else existed. Nothing Created God nothing gave life to God on the contrary God created the universe and all matter and all atoms and all energy and force within the universe there have been those who have been nibbling away at this foundational aspect of our faith bringing in theories as if those theories were factual but in the beginning was God in the beginning was God. There are those who have taken a theory of evolution, which is just that, a theory. It's not even a thesis, a theory of evolution and have promoted it as if it is factual when it is simply man's attempt to explain a creation they cannot understand without God as part of the equation. The Bible says in the beginning... God, God created all life, God created all matter, God in the beginning, God, but not only is God self-existent, look at B, God is totally self-sufficient. God possesses everything that he needs within himself and within his very own being and personality. He is perfect. He is complete. We are not self-sufficient. He is self-sufficient. Here's what's interesting. We typically try to reverse that. We try to live like we are self-sufficient and live like God needs us. When the opposite is true, God is self-sufficient. And the reason the Bible begins with God himself, begins with God creating the heavens and the earth, is so you and I would know that it starts with God and not with us. Isn't it amazing, even though we know intellectually that there have been thousands of years before we were even thought of, that somehow In this self-centered, egocentric way, we think the world starts and stops with us. Like somehow we're the first ones that have ever gone through what we're going through. And we're the only ones that have ever gone through what we're going through. And God wants you to know that it doesn't start and stop with you. The world doesn't revolve around you. It revolves around him and it starts with God. Somebody said, why is that important? I'm going to tell you why why it's important. First, we fail to acknowledge who God is. And when we fail to acknowledge who God is, we mistakenly put ourselves on the throne that is reserved for God. Yeah, somehow we think the world is just like me, myself, and I. And it's like my pain and my sorrow and my happiness. Everything is about me. Right. There was a scientist some years ago by the name of, um, I think, Galileo, um, who who said everything revolves around the earth. Right. The sun revolves around the earth. Everything else revolves around the earth. And there there was a scientist named Copernicus who said, no, 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 we the, the sun doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around the sun. And do you know people wanted to kill Copernicus? Because he had the audacity and the unmitigated gall to suggest the world didn't revolve around us. That we're actually just one of several planets that revolve around the sun. Now, I got news for you. While it may be true for the S-U-N, we also need to understand that it's true for the S-O-N. That the world doesn't revolve around us. We are part of God's creation and our lives should revolve around him. But here's the second reason that we need to know God has originated all things. Because if we're not careful, we will attempt to take credit for what only should go to God. Now, it's amazing. I'm not talking about you, but the person next to you, they have this tendency to want to take credit for all the good stuff that happens in their life. And then give God all of the bad stuff. You know, like, I man, how did that happen? Well, you know, see, I was just smart enough. I was good looking enough. I was intelligent enough. You know, I was connected enough. And see, I called some people who called some people. And I knew some people. And then, you know, and something told me. And I was just thinking, man. And then I just woke up one day and was like, bang, blessings. <laughs> but then when bad things happen, why does God let bad things happen to good people. I don't know why God lets me go through all of this. Life is just not fair. And God says no. Everything. Every good and perfect gift comes from me. And God says stop taking credit for what you don't deserve credit for. Because in the beginning was God. Job had that problem. You remember Job, he, he's facing all of these storms. He's going through all of these difficulties, all of these challenges in life. And then he says, you know what, God, where, wh- what are you doing, God? This is not fair. Why am I going through all this, God? And look at what God says to Job. Job 38 verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined this measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Verse 18, Isaiah 45, for the Lord is God and he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says And there is no other. Here's the second thing. I told you, number one, you need to realize God is supreme in his presence. Number two, you need to realize God is supreme in his person. You need to realize God is supreme in his person. In the beginning, God. Stop right there. Circle that word God. Because that word is an interesting word when you look at it in the original language. The word God there is the Hebrew word Elohim. It is used over 2,500 times in the Hebrew scriptures. It is translated God's lowercase g-o-d-s, plural, In its ordinary sense, but when it is used to speak of the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, it is still plural, but it's used with a definite article. The gods translated God. Now, wait a minute. I know what some of you are thinking. Wait a minute. What do you mean plural? Are are you saying you believe in polytheism? You're believing in multiple gods? Well, there are scholars who believe that this word is a pre-incarnate allusion to the Trinity. Because it's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. When God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, that the triune creation committee, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit came together before Jesus came to earth to come together to create man in their image. But here's what's interesting. Because it is plural, but it's translated singular, there are those who are confused as to why the Bible would do that. Let me help somebody today. The word Elohim with a definite article suggests a God who is plural in his person, but personal in his concern. The suggestion is, listen carefully, that God is so big that he cannot be talked about correctly in the singular. That you can only capture the breadth of his power in the plural. Some of y'all are still looking at me strange. Let me put a cord in the meat and park it for a second. We say God is good. And that is proper grammar but theologically it's better to say God are good because he's too plural for is some of y'all still didn't get it you say God is but the theology says God are God is majestic God are majestic. God is great. No, God are great. God is love. No, God are love because single is too small to handle a God who is plural in his person and power. Look at 2 Samuel seven twenty two. How great you are. O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God Like you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 5 and 6. Let's read it together from the New Living Translation. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 10. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Let's go to the third thing. I told you, number one, you need to realize God is supreme in his presence. Number two, God is supreme in his person. Here's the third and final thing. You need to realize God is supreme in his power. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. I want you to circle that word created. Created. The word created there is the Hebrew word barah, barah, and it literally means to create or to make something without having something to make it from. Uh, the theological significance is that God has sovereign power to originate and regulate all things to his glory. You you are creating something new, something that is being created for the first time. There's a, there's a thought some of you may have heard called ex nihilo, which, which literally means out of nothing. That God has the ability to create something out of nothing to start with nothing. You know, you've heard the saying that, uh, that, that, you know, let, let's, let's start with a blank slate. But, but ex Neilio says when you start, when God starts, he doesn't even have a slate that's blank. He starts with nothing. He has the power that nobody else has to create something out of nothing. He did it with the heavens and the earth. He did it with man. He did it with Israel over and over again. God is the one who has the power to create something out of nothing. Now, some of you are looking at me strange, and you're trying to figure out, well, what does that have to do with me? Watch this. When you have a situation that you can't see your way out of, And you can't see anything that can be done. We serve a God who is able to, ex nihilo create a situation out of nothing. Which means when it doesn't make sense to you. When you can't see it, when you can't feel it, when you can't fathom it. That does not limit God. I alluded earlier to that theory of evolution and man's attempt to explain a creation he can't understand without God. Here's what one person says. To assert that a world as intricate as ours emerged from chaos by chance is about as sensible as the claim that Shakespeare's dramas were composed by rioting monkeys in a print shop. Uh, One person said the probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of an unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing shop. Stories told of a scientist who had the audacity to challenge God in an experiment to create a human being. He challenged God and said, God, with the advances in science and technology, we can create a man. I can create a man. I can create a human being. I challenge you to create a human being. And God said, really? He said, yes. God said, okay, you go first. And the man said, well, I'm going to do like you. First, I'm going to start with dirt. God said, wait a minute, hold on. Uh Uh-uh. That's my dirt. Get your own dirt. Sometimes we have to come to a place where we recognize that God is God and we are not God. Now, you have no problem pointing out to other people that they are not God. You just have trouble looking in the mirror and convincing that person that they are not God and that the world doesn't revolve around them. And they have a responsibility to revolve around God. Look at Isaiah 40 beginning at verse 12. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice no for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket they are nothing more than dust on the scales he picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand write this down somewhere write this down somewhere God doesn't need your advice He wants your obedience. God doesn't need your advice. He simply wants your obedience. Jeremiah 51, beginning at verse 15. The Lord made the earth by his power, and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out the heavens. When he speaks in the thunder, the heavens are filled with water, he causes the clouds to rise over the earth. He sends the lightning with the rain and releases the wind from his storehouses. I want to close with Acts 17, beginning of verse 24. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. He is God almighty. He is the one. Who has been ever present. He is the one who is all-powerful. He is the one upon whom we can depend on to deliver us. He is always there, plural in his power, but personal in his concern, which means he loves you and can do anything you need done because that's the kind of God we serve. Come on, somebody give God some praise today. Father, we thank you today, and we bless you. Remind us, God, when we get in those places, when we stop to look towards heaven and start to look at ourselves. Remind us when we come face to face with our own shortcomings, our own inadequacies, and our own inabilities. Remind us, God, that we serve you, our Elohim. The one who started the started it all. The one who is plural in his power and personal in his concern. We thank you, God. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.